With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Megan Edwards-Collins. I am an associate professor in the OT department at Winston-Salem State University and the technology coordinator for the Academic Education Special Intersection. I will be your moderator for this call. On behalf of the technology leadership team, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the AOTA Technology Virtual Chat. You can participate in this conversation by telephone and or by computer. To listen by telephone, live by telephone, you can call 724-444-7444 and enter call ID 138131. You can also participate in this call on the web by visiting talkshoe.com backslash tc backslash 138131. Of course, you can just listen to the discussion, but we encourage you to actively participate by submitting your questions for our guests. You can type questions or comments into the chat section of our TalkShoe page. We will also open up the line a bit later so that you can ask questions by phone. Today, we'll be discussing the topic of the February 2018 quarter of the article titled VocFit, Customized Employment Technology Support. AOTA members can go to the AOTA.org website to locate and download SIS quarterly articles. Our guests this afternoon are the authors of that article, April Hortzman, Grace Reifenberg, Dennis Cleary, and Andrew Kirsch. Um, April Hortzman, OTS, is an occupational therapy doctoral student at The Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and actually, she's not able to join us today. She is on her field work. Uh, Grace Reifenberg, OTS, is an occupational therapy doctoral student at The Ohio State University. And actually, I apologize, Grace. I just learned that you uh, have graduated and are licensed. So congratulations, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. And then Dennis Cleary, um, MS, OTD, OTRL, is a clinical assistant professor in the Division of Occupational Therapy at The Ohio State University. Dennis, thank you for joining us today. Happy to be here. And then Andrew Persh, PhD, OTRL, BCP, is an assistant professor in the Division of Occupational Therapy at The Ohio State University. He is also the Special Interest Section Council Chairperson for AOTA. Andrew, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks a lot, Megan. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, so let's get started. Uh, in your article, you mentioned that just 7.5% of students with disabilities receive occupational therapy services during their transition years. Uh, why do you think this percentage is so low, and what can occupational therapy practitioners do to increase the number of students uh, receiving services during the transitional years? Uh, thanks for the question. Um, you know, this, uh, that number, 7.5% uh, of those in transition receiving OT services uh, is part of a or comes from an analysis of the National Longitudinal Transition Study, uh, second edition. Um, and what we saw when we looked at that data is, is that uh, children receiving OT during transition, so, so thinking ages 14 to 21, or thereabouts, um, really is markedly lower than what we see at uh, early childhood, elementary, and even middle school levels. Um, there is not a ton of research in this area uh, in terms of uh, utilization of, of OT during the transition year. So we have some uh, ideas in, in terms of why we think that percentage is so low, but there's certainly a need for a lot more uh, research to help uh, sort out how, uh, how things are playing out in real life. Um, so a couple ideas in terms of why that percentage is low. Um, 
you know, occupational therapy very often has a pretty uh, uh, well and recognized base in terms of handwriting, sensory integration, uh, self-regulation, activities of daily living. Uh, and those skill sets are hit, are hit hard and often uh, during the, the younger uh, ages. Um, and once those immediate needs uh, tend to be uh, uh, met, uh, we see that uh, service provision really falls falls off, and so uh, certainly there there's a need to educate uh, both within our profession and and outside of the profession in terms of what OT's role can be at the older ages in middle school, high school, and then transition to adulthood, um, and and uh, so we uh, do that in our teaching, uh, in our outreach. Um, and and kind of one step after another to try to to increase our footprint and uh, transition to adulthood. I, th I think along those lines, um, the other thing is you know kids tend to graduate. I'm doing air quotes uh, from OT usually around <laughs> 12 uh, or so is kind of is what we're seeing. Um, so I think there's other reasons for that. Just the size of caseload is uh, large, and so in some ways. Um, younger kids are uh, lower hanging fruit in some ways that um, if you're trying to support somebody in a high school um, or in the community that that's going to take uh, some additional uh, resources to be able to get out there and do that. Um, so I think that's a, a piece of it. Um, I think the other part is that we don't have great assessments um, for mm -hmm. that age group. So that's one thing that we um, really like about VocFit. I helped to run a transition clinic here at Ohio State um, for kind of kids 14 to 25 that are sort of um, failure to thrive in a sense that, you know, they may um, have uh, left school for whatever reason, they may have graduated, um, and so to qualify even kids for services, um, it can be a little bit more cumbersome just because we don't have great tools for that age group. So the nice thing about VocFit.com mm -hmm. is it's a it's a really good tool. Uh, it's valid. It's reliable. Um, it's pretty easy to use, and it's really targeted towards that transition to employment. You know, which is such an important part that um, we as a society have to get much better at um, connecting uh, youth with disabilities to employment for their own um, livelihood, their own happiness, and really for the sake of our society to be able to um, help support people so that they're you know, um, able to, to find and maintain a job that they want to have. And so I think what Andy said is true, that, we, um, that we've trained now um, in the last eight or nine years here at Ohio State, um, you know, three or 400 students that are now licensed therapists that are out there practicing. Um, and we want to make sure they understand that we have a strong role to play in transition and helping them understand what the tools are. Um, the other thing is, um, helping uh, give tools to occupational therapists they can use, and then also uh, teaching parents that, um, you know, we are more than just handwriting, and so that we mm -hmm. have a, a really strong role in the schools and that we um, can kind of, uh, you know, just as I say often, you know, oftentimes who has a better job to support employment than an occupational therapist. Yeah, I think, like you said, just getting the word out there about what we can do and the possibilities could definitely help with that. All right. Thank you. Um, could you discuss the interprofessional and interagency uh, collaboration that might go on when working with students during their transitional years um, and what the unique role of OT on that interprofessional team might be? Uh happy to. So one of the things uh, that is just true about the transition years is, is that many different stakeholders uh, are, are jointly responsible for uh, transition outcomes. Um, and, and so it follows that something like interagency, interprofessional uh, collaboration is a best practice and indeed it is the evidence-based best practice. Um, it's helpful to, to think about uh, how some of these things uh, come together. 
so during the transition years, you have the student and, and their parents. Um, you also have a school district. Um, and as the child ages, you, you have Social Security Administration, Departments of Developmental Disabilities, Vocational Rehabilitation Agencies. And all of these uh, stakeholders are, are jointly responsible for that transition outcome, but, but differently so. So here in uh, the Transition Employment Technology Lab, we've been uh, proud to partner with a group called Project Search, which is a, a business-led uh, transition to employment program for high schoolers in their last year of IDEA eligibility. Um, and the thing about Project Search that we like so much and, and why it's a good example here is that um, Project Search gets all of the players uh, to the table, uh, same place, same time, with a, with a common focus. And so within that Project Search uh, team, uh, a special educator is provided by a school district. Uh, they serve something like 8 to 12 students a year. Um, those students are housed within a host business where they have the opportunity to uh, engage in a variety of different internships. Um, and they're supported on those jobs by uh, a job coach, which is typically uh, funded through a combination of VR and DD money. Um, and so Project Search has uh, achieved you know, impressive outcomes, and I think there really is that evidence uh, in practice getting all the players together to collaborate in an interprofessional, inter-system uh, way uh, really uh, is a key contributor to, to positive outcomes. Uh, in regards to the unique role that OT can play, well, I think um, being a conduit for that communication and collaboration is a, is a key piece. I think our skills uh, as as Dennis had mentioned earlier, our skills in assessment can bring valuable new data to a, to a transition team. Um, other thoughts on key unique roles for OT on the transition team? Task analysis, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, our skills in task analysis are unique in education and healthcare, and so that's a valuable perspective we learned. I think, um, you know, oftentimes we're uh, looking to, to move outside of the medical model, but it's also for um, people that have more complex needs. We're the only one on the team, um, you know, a nurse isn't typically in any of these teams that has any type of medical background. So to be able to provide some of that input is really an important piece of it. Um, but really, I think just the person-centered nature of who we are as a profession, I think the um, system in general is trying to transition to become much more client-centered in their practices. Um, mm -hmm. One of the examples of that is the Workforce Innovation Opportunities Act, which um, just became a federal law that's requiring um, VR, um, so state VR agencies to spend 15% of their money uh, on students when they be under the age of 22. So before then, especially somebody with an intellectual or developmental disability, would um, VR basically wouldn't um, provide any services to them, and they would sort of leave those services to the, the DD system. And so within developmental disabilities, if you look at the last you know, 50 years of um, what that system has been, it really was about segregated um, employment, if that was an option, or segregated settings. And so... Mm -hmm. um, the nice thing that OT can really do is to help look at, you know, integrating people more fully into the community either and, you know, hopefully in, in work environments, um, but even if it's, it's in social environments. Um, it, it, so we just really bring that unique skill set that the system desperately needs. Um, we just need to help them understand what an important role that we play in it. And so that's one thing that we hope to be able to, to show long-term is that um, people that receive occupational therapy services have better outcomes um, as a result of that as they transition from high school to adulthood. Very interesting. 
Um, so, Andrew, you are the director of the Transition, Employment, and Technology Lab at the Ohio State University. Um, could you discuss how the lab came about and the lab's goals? Uh, you bet. I'd be happy to. So, uh, along with uh, Dennis here, uh, we direct uh, the TET lab, as we call it, Transition, Employment, and Technology. Um, and uh, we're primarily a, a research lab. Um, okay. That, that has uh, some community and clinical uh, outreach and connection as well. Uh, so it's probably uh, close to 10 years ago now, Dennis, where uh, our, our, our paths first crossed. Yeah, our University uh, Center for Excellence in uh, Developmental Disabilities, the Nysonger Center, um, as part of their transition programs, we're looking for uh, occupational therapies help with job analysis and mm. uh, using our skills and task analysis to really break down a job and help figure out um, how how a job uh, either fits or, or does not fit with uh, the individual wants, needs, and abilities of, of a, uh, a person uh, in a vocational setting. So we started out um, doing those task analyses, um, kind of the longhand way, the way that we all learn task analyses, and, and really found that this area of helping people with disabilities find and keep work uh, really was a, an unmet need. Um, those task analyses uh, lasted for a while, but what, what we came to find was that really um, a new tool, new approach uh, would be helpful and that we were potentially positioned to, to build something new that helps uh, clinicians and educators, um, people with disabilities and their, uh, those who um, care and, and support them uh, for thinking about employment. Um, so uh, the vocational fit assessment was born and vocational fit assessment is very much based in uh, the model of person, environment, occupation, uh, and is a, is a method that we look to quantify the abilities of a person and then the environmental and occupational demands of a job. Um, so out of that need to do job analyses, we built um, kind of a new assessment uh, platform, uh, bofit.com, that is how uh, we get the vocational fit assessment out into the world and so that people uh, can use it. So most of the work that we do here is um, with our website and supporting uh, our few thousand users who are using Vocfit uh, to inform their job matching and their transition to adult fit services. Uh, but all of, all of that work really is, uh, we tie back to our mission, which is to improve uh, the post-secondary employment outcomes of people with disabilities uh, through intervention assessment uh, and, and novel uh, care paradigms. Okay. Um. Anything else you'd like to add about the type of services that are provided at, at the uh, Transition Employment and Technology Lab, the TET Lab? So we have phenomenal um, students. So we have, uh, at any given time, up to eight students or so. So the nice thing is we are um, part of a, a post-secondary program here at Ohio State. So we have young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. In fact, there's um, 15 of them here this week for uh, Sort of summer camp where they're we're doing assessments um, to help and as part of BOFIT is part of that um, to look and see you know what what are the best job matches and that sort of thing for them uh, and then they will be here in the fall where they'll uh, um, enroll in OSU classes where they'll audit some um, they'll take some that we teach for credit uh, they'll work in internships so um, we're a, a project search post-secondary site so our students have a great opportunity to work in the lab to help um, support them through uh, some job coaching, um, through uh, helping them with 
video resumes and all sorts of technology stuff uh, that um, I'm too old to know about that Dr. Birch seems <laughs> have uh, down pat. So um, just lots of real life experience with transition age um, folks. And the, the really nice thing about the program in particular, in addition to OT students, there's about 60 or 70 undergrad or graduate students that are um, serving as ed coaches that are supporting them in various different um, academic or social uh, events here at Ohio State. Um, we really are changing the expectation that, you know, people with disabilities are fully included kind of throughout the lifespan. It doesn't end when, when high school ends. Um, and so we're hoping that um, no matter where our students go, if they're occupational therapy students or not, that they really take that message with them that we're fully inclusive. Um, because that's mm -hmm. how we're going to continue to change society. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, anything else you'd like to add about the type of clients you see and work with at the lab? You know, um, you know most broadly, these are folks, young adults, uh, adolescents, young adults, and then even aging adults uh, who live with intellectual uh, and or developmental disabilities. Um, they, they are served through a variety of uh, different providers from school systems to departments of developmental disabilities and the book rehab system as well. Um, and, and we encounter them in kind of a variety of different settings, whether they're coming out of high schools or coming on campus for our post-secondary program. Um, you know, sometimes we're working with uh, older adults and, and helping to think about how we serve that population outside of sheltered workshops. Um, but that really is the, um, the population that we have focused on uh, most carefully um, within our lab. And how do, um, you know, individuals get referred to your lab or made, how are they made aware of your lab and the services you offer? So I, um, the best answer probably is through our uh, outreach. Um, so we have nice partners in community settings, you know, particularly in Project Search. Um, and so uh, being able to connect to uh, thousands of motivated special educator, uh, educators and other occupational therapists kind of through that network has been uh, a great way um, to connect with users. Um, and then we, we, we certainly get uh, folks who have heard of us through other presentations or through articles um, and who just reach out to us uh, in that regard. Okay. Um, and what kind of billing and documentation, if any, um, do you complete at the, at the lab? Well, uh, we don't uh, we don't uh, do any billing. Uh, all of the contact we have with clients is done through uh, a research lens. Um, and so the documentation that goes along with all of that uh, is, uh, you know, human subjects protections, mm -hmm. uh, things such as, uh, you know, the, the informed consent process. Um, we also... Um, you know, certainly do lots of data collection uh, as people use uh, the website. Uh, we're able to uh, collect that data and use the data to improve our own uh, our instrument and and our processes. Um, but uh, no uh, traditional billing or documentation. Um, just just that paperwork that's involved in the research process. Okay. Um, your article mentions ONET. Um, can you explain what this is and how it assists the clients you work with? Yeah, I can speak a little bit about ONET. ONET stands for the Occupational Information Network. Um, it was developed under the sponsorship of the U.S. Department of Labor, Employment, and Training Administration. And what ONET does, it includes occupational descriptions for thousands of jobs. Um, and one thing that we use ONET for a lot is they have an ONET interest profiler. 
And so this is a great resource for individuals um, to really get a sense of what kind of occupations or career interests may um, be of interest to them or something that's appropriate for them. So we often refer people to this ONA interest profiler. Um, on vocefit.com, we have a direct link to the interest profiler. And based on some of the occupation categories, um, what we found is students have taken the interest profiler and you know, found out they're potentially interested in an area of healthcare or human resources, but don't have a great idea of what that could potentially entail. So we've turned those major categories into um, what we call a video library, where we've actually videotaped students or interns in these roles. And so based on their own net interest profiler results, they then can look at this video library and have a video model of what a career in that area might potentially look like. And so that's been a very valuable resource and it's a way that we've been able to assist clients in the lab. Okay. And ONET, is that a free resource for that anybody could access? Yes, it, that is all free, both ONET and the interest profiler, as well as the video library on vocefit.com. Okay, wonderful. Um, we have a uh, question in the chat room, um, and the user says, or the um, participant says, I have reviewed the VFAW and VFAJ. Um, since these are associated with the project search program, how do you see it uh, being applicable outside the Ohio State, or the Ohio area? Um, could you explain what the VFAW uh, and VFAJ are, and then... Um, yeah how you see it being applicable outside of Ohio. So uh, I shared earlier, our our website, vocefit.com, really is uh, the home for our assessment, which is the Vocational Fit Assessment, or VFA. So there are two versions of the VFA. The VFAW, or worker, uh, is what we use to uh, assess uh, the person's abilities the P of the PEO model. Uh, the VFAJ or VFA jobs uh, is the other side of the coin. It's the tool that we use to demand the, or to measure the environmental or occupational demands uh, of a particular uh, job. And so what's cool about the VFA as, as a integrated system is that um, we can make direct comparisons uh, between jobs data, what the job is demanding, and then uh, individual ability data, what, what the person is able to do. Uh, and when we do that uh, on a large scale, comparing one person to five, 10, or even 50 uh, different jobs, um, we're able to, to see uh, the detail, if you will. We're able to uh, zoom in on areas of strength where a job demands a skill and the person has it, and we're also able to identify areas of weakness. Uh, for example, when the job demands a skill and the person is not uh, able to do that skill. So we, we uh, built these tools in the context of the project search model. Um, and again, that's a model targeted at um, high school transition to employment. Um, but uh, the applicability is, uh, is much beyond uh, much beyond project search. Um, and so there are a couple parts to your question there. Um, in terms of general applicability, uh, Vogue Fit um, really is targeted at the larger um, world of special education and then vocational rehabilitation broadly. Um, and so pr the project search model is just kind of one example of uh, of a program that, that fits with uh, vocational fit assessment. Um, within, uh, as, as in regards to the um, applicability outside of Ohio, um, Project Search was started uh, in Ohio. I believe Ohio still has the highest number, one. number yeah, most sites uh, in Project Search. Uh, they're based in Cincinnati. Uh, but Project Search is a national, indeed international program, and so the user base 
for VoteFit.com uh, is similarly international. Um, and so uh, this uh, this is an approach that wasn't uh, designed solely for Ohio, and we think really has broad applicability across uh, the country uh, and some other parts of the world, um, but but certainly for that broader world of special education and vocational rehabilitation uh, is where we see this uh, fitting best. The next part of the question was, um, could this apply to community-based mental health? Uh, and, and we really think this approach has lots of uh, natural um, uh, connections to other areas of practice. And so mental health is certainly uh, something we've talked about in the past. Uh, other areas are, are things like TBI and sports-related concussions um, military. Uh, within the military. Um, you know, regular kind of uh, work and industry type applications, um, but but we absolutely see uh, community-based mental health as as a prime target for this type of approach. And I think um, one other way that I'm using it, so in the transition clinic that I help to run uh, next door, um, I'm using it with uh, parents of children as young as 14 or 15. I guess they're adolescents. Um, and so what I'm finding is that it's almost a religious experience for them. Um, a lot of times, if people find our clinic, we don't advertise it, but we have a year waiting list. Um, it tends to be parents that um, are really looking for what's best for their child, but sometimes they're a little overprotective of them in terms of what their, their kid's role is going to be, you know, as they enter into adulthood. Um, and so sitting down with a parent and filling out the as you, it's the VFAW, so the vocational fit assessment about the worker, or in this case, the 14-year-old, um, for them to really look at skills that um, they haven't provided opportunities for their child to experience um, has really been life-changing for some parents in terms of, you know, just really starting to, to provide better opportunities for their kids um, in terms of being more self-sufficient. Um, and, of course, all OTs, we love chores. Uh, so doing as much as we can um, at a young age um, to really start building the independent living skills that we all know is so important. Um, and then in terms of outside of Ohio, uh, Andy and I have a talk uh, in a couple of weeks in London, England. Uh, unfortunately, oh, wow. it, will be, it will be over a webinar. Uh, so oh. They invited us to come and present, um, but we weren't able to make it because of timing. So, um, but they just, uh, they wonder where the U's are. Uh, with a lot of our terms. But other than that, um, it compares um, really well to lots of, um, you know, kind of uh, typical um, Western industrial uh, economies as well. Okay. Um, I have another listener question. Um, is this open source? Um, if we have employers who we add to the system, does that info go into your database and then be shared with other users? To be able to answer that, yeah. So we're um, this is something that is uh, absolutely free. It's uh, owned by myself, Dr. Cleary, and Ohio State. Um, but we're not. This is not something that we've commercialized uh, at this point in time. And the website's been running for a couple of years, two years at at this point. Um, so we do collect uh, some of your data. Um, you know, particularly, these are assessments on workers' abilities and demands of different jobs. So within your user account, you are creating uh, your own database. That, that data is getting uh, stored securely with us as well. Um, other part of that question. Oh, so the other piece, um, so it comes preloaded with 50 jobs. Um, that you can, so even if you don't have access to jobs or internships, so if you're in a high school and you don't have access to internships outside of the high school, um, you would still be able to use VocFit and compare them to kind of a large data set of about 50. So what we do is, is annually we go and look at, at the items to see if there are some changes we need to make. You know, if there are um, things that are coming up in uh, task analyses that users are using, 
that we don't reflect invoke fit. So the nice thing of it, about it being web-based is we can um, change vote fit periodically, um, either in terms of the items. Uh, I think we mentioned there's about 130 or so items at this point. Um, and then also the jobs that are modeled that you would be able to select from. But also, you can input your own job. So um, best practice within a project search model or any internship model is to input the jobs. It takes about 30 to 45 minutes to go through and, and analyze a, a, a job using our model. Um, and then that is stored and you can use it as often as you'd like. Another, another clarification. Um, the data that you input, whether it be worker or job-based, is your private information. So it does not get shared with other users. Um, so it is shared with us, uh, and, and our site is a secure login uh, database. Uh, but it does not go to other users. Uh, okay, so somebody's but you would give, yeah, unless you give them access to it. So right, you right. know, if it's a, a job coach, if it's a, a special education teacher, if it's someone from VR, then you can certainly add anyone to that data. Um, you know, obviously as long as the student agrees to that. Yep. So the yeah. you enter jobs at an employer, and that that data does not go to others unless uh, you're making an explicit connection you know, between two users. Okay. Okay, thank you. Um, and Dennis, you were mentioning earlier how it can be kind of enlightening for parents um, to see perhaps some of the areas that they have not, um, you know, allowed their child to perhaps explore, you know, or practice those skills. Uh, do you have any examples that you'd be able to share? <laughs> uh, so it seems like uh, Ohio, um, and I'm, a proponent of some charter schools and not of others, uh, but Ohio has, was an early adopter of charter schools, and we had some large online charter schools, but um, there were lots of, so like say you had a 14-year-old a or 15-year-old child with autism that, you know, was being bullied or was having social difficulty with kids at school. Um, we've had kind of a run on parents that decided to pull their kid out of school to get them away from that social situation and en enroll them in an online charter school. Um, and their special education services are supposed to follow them, but may or may not follow them. Um, and so what, what we, we're seeing a lot of in terms of people coming to our clinic um, were uh, folks that, um, you know, had been out of public school for three or four years and had at this point graduated. Um, and so the social pragmatics that they had difficulty with three or four years ago are now even more solidified um, as they've gotten a little bit older. So um, a lot of social isolation and things like that that we're seeing. Um, and so, you know, just even sitting down and talking with parents to, for them not to criticize any decision that they've made, um, but really to see um, what are we doing from this day forward um, and how do we make those changes. And so. Um, we also um, have had a run on home homeschoolers as well, and uh, also of parents that are very protective in terms of um, wanting their child to, to spend much time with people outside of their own particular community. Um, and so just kind of talking about them long term, um, sitting down and having them go through the, the 130, item, 130 items on Vogue Fit really just opens up even possibilities for things that they can do around the house to start building you know, some of these skills. Um, a good example was a, um, a, a young lady uh, last year that she was 16 with Down syndrome that came through and her parents were doing a great job. The school district was doing uh, a great job as well, but it was just sort of like, let's take this to the next level. So um, if she was someone that was actually interested in administrative work long-term, um, so what are some things around the house that we can set up that she can start working on that. So we just talked about, you know, um, each member of the family has a little mailbox. And so she's responsible for getting the mail each day and for sorting it, deciding, you know, what is junk mail, you know, what needs to go to people. Um, so it's, again, just starts to build that responsibility. Um, and VogueFit is a nice way to start that conversation um, with families and with individuals for them to really start thinking about long-term. Um, one of the, I think, uh, special education still is 
needs to get a little better about is to help families and individuals think about life after high school. You know, it isn't, um, you know, um, Andy and I were both trained by, uh, and Grace as well, by Jane K. Smith, um, who most people know was one of the leading pediatric OTs in our profession and sadly passed away mm -hmm. a few years ago. Um, the way that she got me involved in this, I was actually always kind of an adult person that worked with individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, she had been at Ohio State at that time for about um, 18 or 19, 20 years. Um, and so some of the little preemies that she had worked with, you know, when they uh, were a year old, um, two years old, and then when she was seeing with their, you know, she'd spent so much time with them and with their family and really formed bonds with a family that lasted for 20 years. But then she would really look and see what was their outcome when they were 22 years old. And for many of them, they were sitting at home or they were, doing, you know, kind of going to these congregate settings and really not, um, <laughs> she was frustrated with just the amount of time and effort that had been spent on these kids, but, you know, that the system really wasn't in place to help them transition to adulthood. And so um, that's something we really need to continue to encourage special education to do is to look outside of, you know, when um, 18 hits or when 22 hits or 26 hits, uh, if anyone here is in Michigan. Um, and so uh, the more that we can help people understand that and have that conversation early on, um, the better off uh, we think that child's long-term outcome is going to be. Hmm. Sounds great. Um, and there was a listener that uh, just wanted uh, some clarification. Um, so she said that there were six employment sites that um, she got job input in, but those be the only ones considered for the worker profiles that she enters. So she she entered six internships. Um, so there's a was that the question? Six employment sites. Okay. Um, that she got job input, would those be the only ones considered for the worker profiles that she enters? Uh, so no, there's an additional um, 50 or so um, employment uh, that she would need to toggle on. Um, I'd have to look and see what, it, what the actual verbiage is on the website. And so, the, so it's called the Discovery Job Bank that would... Uh, the toggle is Show Discovery Job Bank. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's there's an additional roughly 50 or so yeah 50 or so jobs that you can toggle on or off um, and those are kind of generic jobs from the usual kind of categories of jobs um, but they provide kind of a, a nice representation of the economy as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in addition to the jobs that you input that are specific to your community, there is uh, this discovery job bank that you can use to begin your exploration. Yeah, so it's a nice way to do kind of career discovery. Um, and really how, how VocFit is different than other, um, other types of um, you know, career matching tools um, is we, we talk about actual ability, not sort of aspirational, you know, what do you like, what do you not like? We really talk about what are you able to do, what are you not able to do? So in terms mm -hmm. of being pragmatic, it's a it's a nice approach. We're a okay. little quiet. <laughs> no, it sounds wonderful. So they would have access to the 50 or so that you said are kind of already in the database plus whatever they might create themselves. Correct. Okay. Um, there's another question about whether we uh, hope this to be based in a university or does it become a company at some point? Uh, so that we did not build it for it to become a company. We built it because we think it's a nice uh, tool that can help people. Um, but that said, uh, it in part belongs to a university. And so they certainly have an interest in commercializing it at some point. Um, but there are no... Uh, specific plan uh, for that at, at this point in time. It doesn't mean it, it won't happen uh, in the future. Uh, in terms of maintaining access uh, to data, I, I think it's, it's safe to say that the data that people input into VocFit will continue to be available to them. Um, if at some point it were commercialized, uh, we would make sure that you, you have access to your data 
uh, at least up until that point. But I think we're quite a ways off from that. And that's the, the nice thing about having a university as a partner is there uh, generally um, are, you know, uh, are interested in everybody's uh, best interests. Yeah. Um, and then another listener question. Um, they would like to know if you've considered partnering with the Special Olympics. Um, they volunteered with Special Olympics and have often found that individuals are not employed and not in school. I don't think we've ever thought about it, but we'd certainly be interested. I know that their um, uh, Special Olympics is certainly branding out and doing lots of other things now. So if you have a Special Olympics connection, we'd happy, be happy to talk with them. Sounds good. Okay. Um, I think you kind of addressed one of my uh, next questions. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add about the vocational assessment that you mentioned and how it's used at the lab? Uh, you know, I, I don't think so. Uh, we are, uh, this is an area that we care a lot about. Um, mm -hmm. We're excited to see there being more technology um, and more interest in transition to uh, adulthood and, and particularly transition to employment. Um, and so for, for any and all therapists that uh, have interest in this area, we, uh, we're happy to be supportive or make uh, whatever connections we're able to. Um, I, there's a question being, how do you follow up? Um, <laughs> you, can, you can get to us through vocefit.com. So if you go to that main website, um, vocefit.com provides a uh, direct line uh, to both Dennis and to I, and we're happy to help get you uh, on the system if, if that's something you're interested in. Thank you. Um, can you discuss the job matching report and what it all entails? I think you kind of indirectly discussed it a little bit. So, yes. It, um, so, what happens is, so you've inputted your information about the individual, uh, and then from that, if you have access to jobs or internships, you can match that individual to the the actual jobs or internships that you have access to. So, um, and what that does is we have, this will be very difficult to do without a visual, um, but the worker has in our eyes, high ability, some ability or low ability uh, to complete a job. Um, and I know that sounds vague, but we actually have data that shows that it actually, it makes pretty good sense to people as they're filling these out. So high ability means that the person can complete this one of the 130 tasks independently, even if they need some assistive technology or augmentative communication. Um, they have low ability if they cannot complete that even with help, and they have some ability um, if they can complete that task with help. Um, so that's one end of it. Uh, the other end of it is the job. So is there a high demand, some demand, or low demand? Um, for this particular item. And again, there's 130 different items. We have the same 130 items for the Vogue Fit that we have, I'm sorry, for the, for the VFAW that we talked about the worker as we do the VFAJ, which we use to talk about the job. Um, and so then, because we have a three-point scale on either side, we can compare those. So um, do they have um, high ability to do something and does that job have a high demand? And if so, we, we model that as being a good thing. Um, if the worker has low ability, um, but the job has a high demand, we see that as being a bad thing. Um, not that they can't ever learn that skill, but in terms of our model, um, that's how we, we model it. So we actually have it, uh, it looks like um, a, a, an old school uh, stoplight. So greens, yellows, and reds. Um, so green means high ability, high demand. Red means low ability, high demand. And then there's all sorts of iterations between that. Um, so I think the best way to fully understand that, you can hear my soothing tones in about a 35-minute video that's on the VocFit site, um, or there's <laughs> also a three-minute video that will kind of go through um, the job matching report uh, in just kind of a nice little quick summation of it. 
Um, and so, but we really, um, it's important for us to make sure people understand that um, even if somebody has low ability and a, a job has high demand, you know, we're occupational therapists, we be, believe that people can learn, change, and grow. And so because of that, um, that's part of why we're excited to have more OTs involved in transition, um, is that we can help uh, people build these skills so that they can do the types of jobs that they want to do. Okay. Um, and some other listener questions. Uh, do you do in-person training? Um, we have a listener, I'm assuming from New Jersey, um, that feels the school would be more comfortable going forward with some of this if they had in-person training. Uh, sure, depending on the time of year. Um, you know, I, I think January and February would be hard. Um, <laughs> but, you know, summer would be good in New Jersey. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So you can contact us through VocFit so we can either do in-person training or we do probably two or three webinars a month um, through Project uh -huh. Search for their state. Um, you know, they're, they're in, I think, on like 45 states now and, I don't know, 10 or 12 countries. Um, so either one of those. The webinar is, the webinar is free. Um, the in-person training, uh, we'd probably have to, uh, you get to bring us out there, which we'd be happy to do because the garden state's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another listener question. Um, looks like they uh, know how to, they saw how to fill in the VFAW. Um, she was just wondering, or um, the listener was wondering if they fill in the VFAJ, um, or does that rating system come from you? Yeah, so, yeah, you would fill out a VFAJ. So if you have access to internships or jobs, then you would just go in and as, you're, as you um, are managing the site, um, there was, there's a, a button that says manage workers. So that's how you fill out the VFAW. And then there's another button that says manage jobs. Um, and that's how you fill out the VFAJ. So they actually look pretty similar. Um, just instead of um, ability, it says demand, but it has the same items on it. Um, and once you have it down, um, it really, you can, especially the job part, if you know the job well, um, you can fill that out in about 15 minutes max. Or you could also use the, the jobs that come preloaded with the FA, with the Vogue Fit. Okay. Um, and my last question, again, I think you kind of have addressed this throughout. Um, if you could just talk a little bit about VogueFit.com and the resources it offers. Um, I think you kind of addressed it, but anything you'd like to add or reinforce? Yeah, so, um, you know, at VocFit.com, you can get uh, a little bit about us and certainly our contact information. We have uh, a couple videos that outline, uh, you know, why VocFit was created and, and what we're trying to accomplish uh, with it, some explanation on our uh, rating scale, uh, some supports, including a step-by-step uh, manual or a step-by-step -step guide in terms of how you use VocFit. We have uh, that video library that Grace was talking about that uh, also includes a link to the ONET Interest Profiler, um, something you can use to help clients explore their uh, interests. Um, and then we have uh, the tool itself. Um, uh, and so VocFit is a, a web-based tool it's going to allow you to input uh, data on workers and data on jobs and then generate reports that quantify um, how, how much uh, a person uh, is a particular match for one job or another um, and identify those areas where you can intervene uh, to improve performance. Great. I think, Dennis, before you mentioned three to 400 students have been involved with this. Is that occupational? therapy students? Yeah, that we've trained okay. in terms of transition over the last uh, almost 10 years now. So just again, oh, okay. so we had, it was kind of funny, we had a student out on fieldwork a couple years ago, um, and so her fieldwork educator, who was actually my, she was the class ahead of me, so she was my kind of mentor that we're assigned. And so she's a school-based therapist and uh, occupational therapist, and one of our students was there with on fieldwork, and she got an email while the student was there and she kind of muddled under her breath because she had gotten 
you know, a, a request to do a transition assessment on someone, and she was like, I hate when we get these. This isn't something we should be doing. Uh, and so our, our student who was on her level one fieldwork said, well, no, let me show you. Here's something that we could do, um, and pulled out VocFit and taught her a little bit about it. And so, again, it's that um, kind of changing systems, changing minds. Um, is an important part of what we're trying to do here, uh, just to uh, increase occupational therapy's role in helping with transition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it looks like um, one of our listeners is saying um, their special needs school, the VOC department, is not run by an OT. Um, the OT, unfortunately, has a very small role, um, but they are trying to show how um, you know OT practitioners can be a valuable resource. Um, are you okay with this not being be, being run by someone who's not an OT, or do you feel it needs to be an OT that runs it? Um, so I, I think, um, you know, those are individual school decisions. Uh, I <laughs> think we have a very strong role to play in VR. Uh, mm -hmm. What we've been using VocFit for, so VocFit was created for anybody to be able to use just because it's such a, a tremendous issue. You know, when you look at the number mm -hmm. of kids in special education services, the employment outcomes for this age group, you know, it can't just be OTs that are solving the problem. We need everybody to do it. So VocFit was created so that someone with a high school uh, degree basically can fill this out and assess someone because in some places, job coaches are folks that have high school diplomas. Um, that being said, we're using VocFit with um, OTs that are trying to um, play a stronger role in transition, a stronger role with VR. Um, and so there's no reason why you need to tell people that this isn't an assessment just for OTs to use. Um, so I know we have some folks in Pennsylvania specifically uh, in a school district that are saying, because it it's a valid, reliable instrument, um, and it, there's not a lot of valid and reliable instruments for this age group. Um, so they're using it as part of the assessment that they're doing um, and really gives them um, a level of um, Kind of sophistication that there's not another tool out there that does this um, to the mm -hmm. same degree. So because of that, um, it is a, a way for us to to kind of push our way more into transition, and that's what we're hoping to do. So contact Andy and I; we'd be happy to help you. Or Grace, you can contact Grace too. But she's <laughs> she's about to be a a, a licensed uh, well, she's already licensed therapist, but she's going to start working. When is it, Grace? August. So she's going to be a um, doing her residency at Nationwide Children's Hospital here in Columbus. So we're very proud of her that they selected a new grad um, as their resident. Oh, that's Hello. wonderful. Oh, sorry, Congratulations. Hello. Sorry, they changed the oh. name. I forgot. Oh, that's very exciting. Congratulations. I just wanted to add one thing to that question. I think um, an area that we found OT to have a unique role with a vocational fit assessment is in that job matching report specifically mm -hmm. for jobs that aren't necessarily, like, that explain a green match. So ones that are more yellow or red and have areas of intervention, something that the job matching report does is it provides specific details of which items the student had difficulty with or the student might need a little extra assistance. And we've gotten feedback that occupational therapists have used this to design their intervention plan and to target these specific skills to ultimately make the students more successful and have it be a better job match. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think we have a unique perspective and ability there, for sure. Um, well, we're actually just about out of time. Um, is there anything additional you would like to um, discuss or mention with our listeners? No, I don't think so. We appreciate the, uh, the nice discussion here. This hour has flown by. It really has. <laughs> uh, other, any other things you'd like to add or discuss? No, thank no. you very much for the opportunity. Well, uh, well, thank you, and thank you, um, listeners, for your questions. I do not see any more at this time. Um, so I would like to um, just take a moment to thank you for being with us today and for writing your wonderful article, VocFit, Customized Employment Technology Support. Uh, thank you for joining me today to talk about your work and definitely a needed area um, to continue to increase the body of knowledge on. Um, thank you all as well to um, those of you who joined us live um, by phone or online and to those of you listening to the archived version of this virtual chat. If you have additional questions and are an AOTA member, 
please go to the Technology Forum on OT Connections to continue this conversation. The easiest way to find the Technology Forum is to go to otconnections.aota.org, click on AOTA Forums, then click on Technology. Again, that's otconnections.aota.org, click AOTA Forums at the top, then click on Technology. If you are not an AOTA member, please email me at edwardsme at wssu.edu. Also, please look out for details on future virtual chats to be held with authors writing technology-related articles for the SIS quarterly practice connections. Until then, on behalf of the technology leadership team, I'm Megan Edwards-Collins. Thank you very much for joining us. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.